0: So when when did you move into this house? Uh
1: just before Rory was
0: born. So uh so beginning, beginning of twenty eleven. Twenty eleven. Yeah. And I remember you saying at the time, You've got this magnificent storage space under the stairs, the, the Harry Potter cupboard, uh, if you will. And um you said, oh, we could just we could put bikes in there. Those
1: Edwardians just love space under the stairs.
0: Love space under the stairs. And um so when did you eventually get round to clearing it out? Well, when did I eventually get round to clearing <laughs> Sorry, it out? Sorry, when did Katie eventually get round to clearing it out? Yeah. Uh, when did Katie's, Katie's patients run out pa- Katie's you not doing it? Katie's nah. sometime last week. Okay, so that's October 2017. Yeah. I, I six think, and a half years and more. I think she finally tired of me saying, look, Katie, I promised <laughs> I would get that job done. Why'd you have to nag me about it every <laughs> six months? And Katie responded by saying, because... And then open the door, threw you in there and realised that even you couldn't fit because (laughs) it was so cluttered. Take your golf clubs, man, and put them somewhere else is what she was trying to say. Oh, the middle class problems of West Didsbury life. Uh, Welcome to Set Piece Menu, the podcast where four friends talk football over food. I'm Hugh Ferris. He's Stephen Wyeth. And for now, that's it, I'm afraid. Um, We are currently enjoying a diet of A lemon-flavoured paracetamol drink to one side, a cough mixture to the other side, and centrally gifted by me to Steve, who is hosting us today, some of what I have for breakfast, which he has horrifyingly had to partake of this morning, overnight oats. What is wrong with a bowl of cereal? It's got far too much sugar in it. So you have oats, you soak them overnight in milk, you add any sort of exciting protein... Dust, I say dust to make it sound magical, and then some frozen fruit and boom, you have a non-sugary and very healthy breakfast. And you look, thank you for at you least You look really ill eating on it. it. <laughs> that's true. It's not health, does it? Clearly, I need to, um, to have that plus a LEM sip every morning. You, 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 you look much healthier when you're eating Cheerios, that's for sure. Well, these kind of episodes are usually introduced by a gentleman in a leather armchair wearing a burgundy smoking jacket with a roaring log fire in the background and a glass of brandy in his hand. A glass of brandy would certainly help my voice this morning. I can lace you drink if, uh, if you think it would be an improvement. I wish, I wish you had done. It's too late now, though. It's time for the set-piece menu. It's not quite been a year, but circumstances dictate that we have to do it anyway. Best of the pods, spectacular.
1: How have we got exactly to this stage? Because it does seem a little premature.
0: Well, like Wayne Rooney's first autobiography, we admit this is coming out way too soon. But upon the arrival of Rory and Kate's beautiful new baby boy, congratulations to, to Rory which we and Kate. And Chinch, heroically. Donning his Grandy Cape, we are for the first time reduced to just two or maybe one and a half, one and three quarters if this Lemsip goes down and does its job. And owing to the fact that Steve and I are all too aware that we haven't played for England or written a book about people who did back in the 1920s, we will be knitting together some of what we think might be considered highlights of our 45-ish podcast so far.
1: Under other circumstances, I would be cross and disappointed with Rory and Andy for not being here, especially on behalf of you, the listener who re- who relies so heavily and, and on their me, insight. The voice, <laughs> and, and, and you to give you a little bit more of a, a break between having to uh, having to speak. But I know what it's like. I, on many occasions, have used my children as an excuse for not doing <laughs> things I didn't want to do. So we have to accept, with uh, with new babies under their respective roofs, that uh, we need to give Rory and Andy a little bit of a break and a time with their their newly growing family. And and also this is an opportunity perhaps for us to allow the new set piece menu listeners, because there are New listeners coming along all the time. Thank you. You are welcome. We are flattered by the interest. But perhaps by way of an introduction, this is what you can come to expect from this particular football podcast. We like to focus on things that maybe other football podcasts don't talk about, the subjects that perhaps they brush over, which one or two people have very kindly pointed out in reviews that they've given us on Twitter and on iTunes. We we talk about timeless topics that have either been recommended by you or that have sparked an interest amongst us as we've we've talked about things over over food over drink And you can go back, you can listen to them at any time, you can enjoy them at any point, and you can also call us out on the things that months ago (laughs) we quite clearly got massively wrong and we do not mind at all if you do so.
0: Yes, talking of um, things that we thought might happen and perhaps aren't, we'll also be updating everybody on how our Premier League Predictions League is going and just assessing how much expertise that the likes of a former England international, Andy Hinchcliffe and Rory Smith, a man of many great... Great words and soon to be many great books, uh, no doubt. How little effect that has on their ability to correctly predict any sort of final position of Premier League table. Not finished yet, I grant you. But still, in their absence, we'll have an opportunity to mock them. And as we go along as well, we'll have some of the uh, more recent reaction to particularly our last podcast, uh, which was on intelligence. So all that to come. We started Set Piece Many back in December of last year. The first words we uttered were actually being rude about Jesus Navas. And it was probably the last time that we were right about (laughs) anything because he subsequently departed quite soon after. There we go. Again, a person who, in absentia, we can be very rude about. Uh, Our first episode asked whether the Premier League really was the best in the world. And then, rather fittingly, we spent half an hour arguing about what best really meant anyway. By January... I'd lost my voice. (laughs) And we've come full circle. There we go. We'd also found our feet by that time. The two things probably were connected. And we thought we'd talk about how the post-truth phenomenon that had ravaged politics in 2016 actually had been part of football for a lot longer. We conjured up stories of Brexit and Donald Trump and then wondered how football had shown them both the way.
2: I'm going to start with a question, right? (laughs) We We are all or have been fans of a club at a certain point. Except maybe Chinch. Who do you support as a kid?
3: <sighs> who do I support as a kid? No one really, because I played from such a young age. I was such you a talented yourself. young player that I was I was playing with um, <laughs> my legs because my legs support. No, no. Um, I didn't really have a team. I, right.
1: Yeah, apart from me. That's really unusual, every... isn't it? I had a conversation with somebody <clears throat> recently who did who loved football, was passionate about football, played every week. Mm. Similar sort of age age to to us, but younger yeah, than Chinch. Yeah. Thanks. Um, and he but he didn't support, he did not support a team, and I thought mm. well, surely that is where that's the seed the board, of your yeah. interest grows from isn't it your your affiliation to one club and then your interest in football beyond that it's mm. quite nice Yes, liberating yeah. isn't yeah, it? Yeah, because, yeah, it, because be, it? because be. you're I, I, not I'm framing
0: everything that you feel because really of prison, because yeah. of how you're instinctively reacting to your club and how you feel your club is being represented well, all right
2: i'm gonna roll with the punches here so i can i can adapt my question so you two both supported a club as a kid mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you've both been paid to go to matches to, to watch your team
1: yeah.
0: Yes.
2: you have both been caught up in the euphoria of victory and the misery of defeat. When yeah. you go to a game of the team that you support and you, the entire crowd goes up in, in fury at a refereeing decision, when you watch that game back later, either on highlights or blah, 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 or whatever, or in full if you've won, if you want to, you've got nothing better to do, uh, do you then look at that decision and, and think, I was wrong about that?
0: Yeah. Yes, but we're part of the liberal media elite I would say I would say that
1: we we would be the exception. In fact, we took my five year old son Rory, no, Rory Junior, yeah. to a game quite recently, and it and it did surprise me how many people sat behind the goal, about thirty rows back, not a great position from which to assess whether or not the linesman at the far end of the pitch is getting a decision all right or right wrong. But it really struck me as to how many people were willing to believe sat around us mm. that. The linesman has been against us all afternoon, continues to be so. He was clearly incorrect in flagging our player offside there. How can you possibly, possibly believe that from your vantage point? And I suppose having been in a position where you have a great seat on the halfway line, television monitors all around you with replays almost instantaneously available, it does change the way that you watch football, the way you perhaps make your mind up as to whether that decision is, is fair or not because you are more used to now being in an an environment where within 20 seconds, it's been proved conclusively one way or another. So although you may still have that, that instinct of a fan, the reaction of a fan to be out of your seat, baying for blood, I find myself immediately sitting down thinking, Actually, I might have a look at that later before I... uh, Yeah, but the thing
3: is, you're you're open-minded, or hopefully we are open-minded. Most people aren't. It doesn't matter what the actual truth is. I've already made my mind. So you're not going into it saying, I want to find out exactly what happened there. I'm going to tell you what's happened, even if the the truth of it is in front of my eyes. It doesn't make any difference to me.
2: When you were playing hmm. and you went home after a victory
3: yeah big victory
2: big victory <laughs> in which you'd start yeah. and you went home and watched the big match on ITV or, yeah you know, the big or match whatever yeah. it was that you how old a man? and say so if, if, when you were playing if you thought that you should have had a penalty and mm. you then got a chance to see the incident again would you then think
3: oh actually that's a you, penalty when you're playing you appeal for things that you genuinely yeah. know shouldn't go your way like throw that it that does, does not do. happen come, come on it does you're, trust me it does happen Even modern players appeal for things they simply shouldn't have. You do see
2: it when players appeal for throw ins, and you think, there is no way you could believe (laughs) that that's your throw-in.
0: We'll we'll talk more about players in a moment because Mm. I I want to stick with the point that you made to Steve because the difference, I think, is your instinct at that moment. Even if you go up, you're sitting around a load of fans. Your instinct has gone, well, that's a disgraceful decision because, you know, you are as one and you kind of follow the trend. So that's the instinctive reaction. And then you have a more measured reaction when you then go and watch it again. And Steve made the point that, yes, you can watch it immediately again if you're covering the game. But if you're a fan and you go home and you watch it again... The difference, I think, is that you aren't open-minded to somebody telling you that you were wrong at the time, your instinct was wrong. Do you think that's true? I don't The post-truth part of that example mm-hmm. is to say that the person who is telling me that it wasn't a penalty when I thought it was, or it wasn't offside when I thought it was, is telling me from a point of view that I don't trust. Yes. I don't trust mm. their opinion, so therefore I still think I'm right, I feel it, I am right and they are not. Right, therefore, so the, fact mm. is secondary. This mm. is
2: where we. this is where we build into the general post-truth environment. I think, which is, you can take that. You're right. That people, people, fans generally aren't are prepared to see perceived agendas and slights and biases in in the media in general, TV, press, whatever. Because, like a family, you're allowed to criticise your own, but you're not. Other people aren't allowed yes. to do it. Yeah. Which is fine. That's kind of the nature of it. That's not. This isn't in any way critical. It's just looking to try and get work out where it comes from. But you then get this rise in not just kind of believing that you should have had a penalty. It's believing that referees are systematically biased against your own team. So has, same- this, has this changed? Has this got worse? Is this I worse? Think has, yes. In what? How, will I it think the last five years, ten years? Because part, partly because of the saturation of football, I need to be careful uh, talking to a representative of Sky Sports <clears> about football saturation. <throat> but I think because there's so much football now... Careful. I think, which is a great thing, isn't it? Brilliant. And isn't their coverage good? Particularly on those yeah. occasions
0: involving Don Goodman and yes. yeah. everybody else. Don
2: Goodman played for the same uh, village team as I did in Yorkshire. Is that right? Don Goodman is the Cricket first... Cricket team? No. Oh, football, football team. Don Goodman was the first ever million pound Collingham Colt.
1: Collingham yeah. Colt. Is he remembered as being a superior player than you for the club? Or, I said, or do you or want to know the highlight
2: of my playing career? was when I got the late call. I'd been rested uh, of a weekend. Squad <laughs> rotation for 24 years. <laughs> i have been rotated about 12, 11, 11 or 12. I got the call. We'd, we'd actually moved to play in Bardsey at that stage. There'd, there'd been a ground share agreement. And um, <laughs> the high stakes. And Jeff, the manager, called me on my landline. It was the 80s. No, it wasn't, early 90s. And said, we, someone's not turned up. Can you, can you come and play? And I got my mum to drive me. And sure enough, got there and I was the 11th player.
3: I was a substitute. What? They used me as a sub. They started with 10. Are you You're joking? joking. Oh, my goodness. Uh, so were, the, lo- the they, lowest they, moment and they, asked, they kicked off a man light because yeah. they didn't want you I in thi- the 11. They were
1: stronger 10 uh, against 11 than they were <laughs> in <living> the team.
2: <laughs>
3: I think. Oh, it's wonderful.
2: Looking back, I think it must have been. I wasn't that bad. Don't try and legitimise it. This I was is, is You were wearing a tutu snuff. as well. I wasn't. <laughs> to be honest. I'm not a particular good footballer, but I wasn't, I, from ballet. Wasn't that good. <laughs> but I think it must have been the paperwork thing you must have had to submit the team sheet and yeah. I wasn't allowed in keep believing but that yeah. the, that's your the soccer yeah. story later oh, is going to have to be really good is just, to beat this that, by the way that is, that's brilliant humiliating it's a humiliating
0: event and it was, it was worth you. it was worth the <laughs> massive fork in the road which I have to admit came <laughs> via Don Goodman and that is my fault but you no, so said it's worse mm, over the last five or ten years because there's more football on TV and social media we're all exposed
2: to it there's more social media obviously social media there's there's greater exposure weirdly to to the media itself so we all think newspapers are dying. But if you think about the amount that football dedicated football fans who are on Twitter read the stuff that's in newspapers, it's way more than they used to. Because you used to buy a newspaper, mm-hmm. and that was your newspaper, and you just read what was in it. Now you read all of the papers, and you get the BBC doing the transfer gossip or, or whatever. There's ro- the role in sp- sports blogs. You're on Twitter all the time. You see everything. Like you're re- People are reading the papers more. There's not paying for it. You get dedicated fan sites. You get kind of fake... It's a whole different side of fake news, but like the... The, the blag Twitter accounts with transfer gossip and all that stuff. And what you get is this kind of massive environment where you can pick and choose what you want to believe. Exactly the same as happened in politics, where people were, were saying, I don't believe the New York Times and the Washington Post and the Boston Globe. But whatever I, they say. Whatever they say. But I do believe TrumpForAmerica.ru because it's, it's saying what I want it to say. So fans will now, if you if you knock a transfer story down on Twitter you get loads of
1: abuse, because fans don't want to believe that you're right. So are we... This, are we this is, we should say, another buzzword, this is the echo chamber yeah. Yeah. of football. So are we now saying that with access to even more media, even greater breadth of opinion, and enhanced television coverage with multiple cameras, multiple angles, slow, mo- slow motion, that people's views are even more entrenched now... Yes than they were when we didn't have those things.
2: Yeah, I think I think that's probably true. I think that you used to... I've always thought that it's kind of, it used to stop mattering on, like, Tuesday, when you're at school or at work. Yeah, yeah. If you'd lost on a Saturday, mm. you'd go in and you, people take the mickey rough. for Monday. It? Monday yeah. was tough, but then by Tuesday, kind of everyone had forgotten, and you could get away from it and you didn't have to think about football for a couple of days, and then turned kind of got to Thursday and you'd think, right, we'll, we'll win this weekend, we'll win this weekend. Whereas now, you can't ever escape it. And I think that's, that tension, that sort of abrasion between views has led to a lot more kind of it's deepened the sense of tribalism among that small demographic. It's probably not true for all football fans, just not all football fans are staring at the internet the
3: whole time. Is this like the, the siege mentality just being stoked up and stoked up and yeah, stoked and up? Yeah, so everyone does it now. Everyone every, does every it. Every club does really? it, and because
2: they know that the fans can
3: will will back them, because
2: the fans want to believe that everyone is against their club, they want to believe the buy into this sort of, yeah.
1: this myth that they yeah, are overcoming yeah. the odds. That the fan in the stadium has seen a decision they disagree with. They want to hear as quickly as possible yep. someone in a position of authority within the club agreeing with them, whether that's the club's Twitter feed, whether it's the manager in his post-match interview, which they might hear on the football phone on the, on the way home or when they catch the highlights on the telly later. That they just want to believe that, that timeline. And, and when Andy Hinchcliffe comes on to say, actually, we've, we've got the, uh, the evidence that that, that, that mm. wasn't a penalty. Well, that doesn't, that doesn't fit the narrative. That's, mm. the,
0: that's the repetition aspect. Yeah. If you repeat something enough it will eventually become fact to that person who wants to believe it. It's not just the fact, it's the trust in the person who tells you that. And then people like Chinch are, to mention Brexit only briefly, is one of those those Michael Gove so-called experts. Yeah. You, you come in with your experience and your knowledge, your... Um, Brilliant ability to articulate, fantastically well In on television, insight of mind, insight mind, yeah, ha- yeah, knowledge yeah. of tactical face for radio. Yeah, mm. um, you 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 do that. You are one of those so-called experts. Well, yeah. By the by, that point, it's too late. They've already they've already decided. And and the club's Twitter feed, just as an, as an example, does the person who put that that tweet up, do they genuinely believe that, or is it again?
1: Yeah, no An idea. example of post really truth because
0: because it's it, you would imagine that you can't put in your real feelings if it goes against you do, the feelings do, you do, you do, of the media machine that the club is running. You
2: get some cracking examples as well of, of not just Twitter feeds, but website, club websites kind of ignoring bad things happening. So they'll sack a manager yes. and the headline will be, you know, season tickets, on half-price half season tickets yeah. on Sunday. <laughs> on, on on no, I think tell the... Tell the fans you've sacked your manager. That's kind of the point.
0: And, and that it's is, is frustrating, prav- I think, for everybody, apart prav- from maybe those people who realise that they can't do anything different because it's more than their jobs were.
2: I think well, I think it's frustrating I, I, I actually don't think the fans I don't think fans like it. I think fans think it's One would hope that they didn't. Completely transparent and stupid. The um yeah, I think everyone kinda of buys into it and it's become the default status that that you create a counter narrative. Mourinho's amazing at it, but he's not the only one. You either kind of say something outlandish that's a diversionary tactic so yeah. no one talks about your failings or you just come out straight up line. this is where, where Trump come, comes into it again that, that Trump's a, a, a genius at just, it's, ridiculous. <laughs> yes. it's ridiculous somebody accuses him of yeah.
0: something and he accuses somebody else of something, of else. something else which is more outrageous and, it, and crazy so you forget the whole, whole point point. it seeds this originally. idea and
2: managers do it all of the time yeah. that, that they, they've lost 4-0 and they blame the referee and so it becomes, the conversation becomes about the referee and not about their defence yeah but also, it, it for example, kind of, it gives fans this something to cling on to 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 kind of indulge their own bias, I suppose, and that's where it comes from. Everybody, and it's not anti-fan, it's not anti-manager. It's everybody indulges this whole post-truth environment.
3: So this this will not change. Do you think it's only no, going it to get
2: worse, worse and
0: worse? worse, and worse. Yeah. <laughs> ah, to a time when my voice worked. Happy, happy days. (laughs) That Rory story, by the way, about him being a substitute in a team that would rather play with just 10 has popped up a few times since. It is a classic. The the, the Chinch soccer stories
1: are... Obviously, very popular insights to uh, a different era of uh, professional (laughs) football. But it has to be said that the one that does get brought up more often than not is uh, Rory Smith's one and only soccer story.
0: Uh, That, incidentally, was in episode six, just so it's easy to find if you'd like to hear the whole thing. Our most recent pod, that's number 45, uh, was about intelligence and whether a footballer needs uh, more than just football brains to be a success and we do enjoy uh, your interaction with us and this one, Steve, in particular, who is our social media uh, correspondent slash editor, um, that the whole thing went crazy. Yeah, but short of the the, the talking point that we
1: had about trying to select a, a team of players outside of the established top six or seven that might be capable of competing, this was the one that really did uh, generate uh, an awful lot of reaction. We heard from John Nicholson, uh, Johnny the Nick, who uh, writes for Football 365 and very kindly sent us on an article that he had written along a very similar theme in the immediate aftermath of England's exit from Euro 2016 at the hands of Iceland. The question he posed, the headline of his article, simply, are England too thick to win anything.
0: (laughs) going to be our set piece menu too thick to come up with their own ideas. (laughs) Well, John John was
1: very kind in not pointing out that we had plagiarised something that he had already considered many months previously and went on to say to us via Twitter that he literally feels it is the major issue in British football from which everything else flows. He'd spoken to those involved in the game at the highest level and got their take and and after writing the article uh, many others in similar positions got in touch to say their their experiences had been similar Uh, One saying that he'd stood there in horror as a player, put another player's clothes in a bin and set light to it. And suddenly felt like he was 13 again. It was awful. And that, of course, sparked off this debate about how how dressing room banter is one of the things that seems to to, to be a factor in this perhaps brainless behaviour that we see from from some footballers, which we just can't quantify with, with the modern game. We also heard from Joe, who's at Brisbane Stokey on Twitter, who who quoted Johan Cruyff as saying that football is a game you play with your brain. We pride ourselves on the notion that football is a simple game, but sometimes it is not. And then there were those, of course, who had listened to the pod and could think, of only particular footballers that they thought it related to. Nick White got in touch to say, listening to this pod on intelligence, I can't help thinking about Luke Shaw. That was one of the names that <laughs> that's, came up.
0: That's either really rude or they just happen to have a picture of Luke Shaw in a, on a poster in their living room. <laughs> and I do have a certain
1: amount of sympathy with Luke Shaw, having commentated on the game where he suffered that horrific injury against PSV in Holland in a Champions League game. Those are very difficult things for a footballer to overcome, especially so soon after a move to a Big club. We also talked about this on a school dad's curry night out. <laughs> school dad's night out. One of the highlights of my <laughs> monthly social circle, that's, and that's in the diary. <laughs> and, and Andy Fraser, someone who I regularly chat to at the, the school gate, uh, and who has uh, supported us uh, ever since the very beginning. <laughs> I was uh, so going to say, and ready. has
0: always tried to end the conversations earlier than I wanted to, <laughs> <laughs> to, to escape. To
1: escape, he mentioned a player that we perhaps could have talked about but didn't, Paul Gascoigne. And Gary Lineker, for example, is somebody who has been quoted as saying that Gazza was his stupidest teammate, but he had the best footballing brain. And Andy also then offered perhaps the complete antithesis to the Gaza situation, by picking out Theo Walcott, who is clearly a very intelligent lad, but seemingly and consistently makes poor decisions on the football pitch.
0: At menu on Twitter or setpiecemenu at gmail.com is how you get in touch with any reactions to any podcast that you happen to, you know, after the next half an hour, go back and listen to chronologically from 1 to 45 without exception. And just to be clear, there were those, of course, who pointed out that this
1: isn't solely an English problem, uh, Matt Hummels, for example, the, the Germany defender, has has spoken quite recently about how German players are encouraged to think for themselves on the football pitch and perhaps the parallels were drawn with uh, with the English game where perhaps English footballers aren't required to do the same thing. And we heard from Alexandru Mercia in Romania who said the experience in his country showed that institutional stupidity was more crucial than that of individual players. And he said Hadji and co. were stupid and daft, but thankfully at that time had sensible Structure around them and they were able to flourish as a football
0: unit and achieve is that sensible structure what led to them all dyeing their hair blonde oh god that was awful wasn't <laughs> that? that was a commentator's nightmare <laughs> that that does not necessarily back up the point made by that correspondent but thank you very much indeed for getting in touch as i say uh, your thoughts welcome via any means that you can possibly get in touch uh, we receive them gratefully mainly because without them we'd be very lonely our next dip into the archives takes us back to March, not long after Claudio Ranieri had been sacked by the then Premier League champions Leicester. The talk was of player power. And after an argument about the relative merits of pro wrestling... <sighs> episode not again. 13, Don't do it again. Episode 13, yes, it wasn't lucky then either, had a go at trying to figure out whether players actually do have the power.
2: It's natural to an extent that, that players have got more power now than they maybe did in Chinch's day when it was in black and white. Because... <laughs> They what, are told all what the tone. contracts or the football, <laughs> the uh, everything was black The and TV white. pictures mainly black and, and white, <laughs> sort of sepia toned or very t- grainy colour. But players are told they're sort of fated so much. They're told that they're so crucial. They're they're given kind of these contracts that 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 put a, a value on themselves as, mm. as kind of people within the dressing room. But the other thing is, as soon as they, they threaten to leave, the club bends over backwards to say, oh, please don't go, please don't go. That changes the balance of power within yeah. the club so itself. So their,
0: their power comes from their, the money that they earn, yes. but also their worth it's to not, the club. It's not the money that they earn. It's the money. But, in but that is, inflates their egos yeah, to, it probably to, does, to yeah. give them a sense of power. That's not necessarily a real power. It's the power that they think that
2: yeah. they have. So money in football, you, you can only really understand that. Chinch knows more about this than me, but the way that I think most people in football see it is that it's a reflection of status. It's not about, like, you know, when you, you hear a player wants 120 grand a week and everyone goes, oh, bl- why does he want 120 grand a week? You can't even use that much money. I'd give it a go.
0: That's yeah. the man on the street there. That's, that's from the right. Sean
3: Deitch or the man on the street you were doing there? Which <laughs> both, both. They're one both, and both. the same.
2: Yes. Yeah, oh, one yeah, and yeah. the same.
3: The, Sean speaks for the man on the street. He does. They don't think
2: the extra 20 grand a week or whatever is important. They don't think, I really need that money because yeah. I've got. I need to buy this thing. Like, I want to go to Ikea and do a massive <laughs> shop. I need 20 grand. Just need 20 grand a week to spend on flatback furniture. It's a, st- it's a status thing in relation to other people at the club and to other players who they consider their peers. And clauses are sometimes written into contracts saying that I have to be the highest-paid player mm, at yeah. the club. Or in certain cases, I have to be the highest-paid player in this country or you know, in, in the league or whatever. Or if somebody else at another club, a little Argentinian, say gets a pay rise, I have to get a pay rise. <laughs> that, that might happen. So it's not that the, the the money itself is a reflection of status, but the status is what gives them the power. The mm. fact that as soon as they threaten to leave, the club will bend over backwards. The fact that clubs consult them on appointment. So you, Barcelona, appoints a new manager, will speak to PK. They'll speak to Messi. They will only appoint someone who who they want. And No wonder players have power. It's not. It's it's unavoidable if you're conducting your business like that.
1: But it's because players partly because of the volume of them and partly because of how difficult it has become now to put a squad of players together to to compete that the manager is much more easily replaced isn't he it's not it's not a case of saying right well this player is disgruntled we'll get rid of them but well, they've got to pay that player off and then they've got to go out and find a suitable replacement and that may be a huge investment as well whereas a manager well you you pay them you know the year or whatever that break you know that 's whatever 's agreed in the contract, you pay, pay them up a year of their salary they 're gone. you can bring somebody else in to coach the players, and I yeah, suppose we 've yeah. lost that manager thing in this country haven 't we in England in particular? Uh, they are much more head coaches now, so they 're just more easily interchangeable yeah. than maybe three, four, five disgruntled players are. You can spend seasons building a squad that 's capable of competing, so you 're not about to dismantle that during the course of one transfer window yeah. because members of the dressing room are looking to cause well, trouble. That's why
3: maybe, I don't know whether this is absolutely true, what happened at Chelsea, but obviously with the problems that they had, I got a sense of the players, as you've just said, on three or four year contracts, on huge money, it's far easier to get rid of a coach than it is to get rid of five or six players who aren't happy with that coach. The owners are going to weigh this up and say, wait a minute, this is going to be a difficult problem. It's far easier. You can just sack a coach, yeah. basically, and say, this isn't working. We can get rid of We can pay you off. But getting rid of four or five players simply does it's just impossible and the players know that as well so yeah. they probably think if we have a little chat and we think this is this is what's wrong he's the problem We're obviously going to be able to stay here. You speak to the owners about this and whether players do do that, whether they do go to the owners and say, look, this is why things aren't going so well. This is the problem we've got in the dressing room. You've got to sort it out. There's no way you can financially be able to afford to get rid of five or six players. The coach is always the one that will get it in the next. So coaches, again, it's that man management and that's why I think clubs work so hard on getting good characters into their clubs as well. They know the quality, maybe the players, but they want to know about the characters as well. They're not going to get people coming into the club that are suddenly within a month going to be sticking a knife into the back of the coach.
2: I, yeah, I think it's really interesting the position of manager because... Managers are kind of The most powerful person At a club But also in no, a way Are they? The I'm league.
3: not sure Maybe certain clubs They are I always thought The clubs had philosophies And coaches were kind of Slotted well, in They, 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 they do, do now, now. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, but, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but Sir Alex we're Ferguson Always said
0: Our contractual obligation To mention Sir Alex Ferguson In every podcast But he, <laughs> he, he, he's, that was his mantra Wasn't it? The, the yeah. manager needs to be yeah. The most important yes, person yes. In a club yes, overall yes, yes. But yeah, you yeah. Yeah. wouldn't have that Very often anymore But
2: then, but the thing is That they're not The most important person They are simultaneously They're like It's a Schrodinger position They're simultaneously The most important And the least important person If the board doesn't like them, they don't. If the players don't like them, they can be levered out, and it's, that's a fascinating dynamic, and it maybe explains why most managers are always in such bad mood. It, you know?
1: it always strikes me as odd, even when you know I was much younger and just you know observing football as a fan. That the, the manager or the head coach is not the best paid person yeah. at the organisation. I always thought that was really unusual that you would have not just one player but many players who earn more money than the coach not least because as it's come to pass a manager is much more easily dispensable so therefore surely they need to be better rewarded during the very brief tenure in charge but then th- that question of authority comes into play you wouldn't have a situation where the chief executive was mm. was paid a lower salary than, than the, many numbers of the employees that worked underneath but not him even that.
2: Like the chief exec's on less money than like the seasonal workers <laughs> yeah, who yeah. come in for like <laughs> six months
3: that's what it is basically, Like this guy comes in he's, he earns three times as much as you, he's our reserved left-back. Clearly yeah. the, the club see the players as the most important thing in terms of what the club is all about and in terms of PR rather mm. than the coach when it used to be the coach and then the players were underneath the coach the coach is what you to talk about in terms of a club now if you talk about clubs maybe you talk about five or six players rather than the coach but itself the, the maybe that's strange, just the way things are the have, other have strange gone. thing about that
0: though is that if the club owners are going straight to the, to the players because of, they consider them more important why are they doing that because they're asking them potentially questions about a matter of Experience when the person that they've employed and they sometimes will be paying a lot of money for as a manager or a head Mm. coach has sometimes 30, 40 more years worth of experience in the game. Why are they bypassing that and making a decision about that person's future in some instances by asking somebody who's 24 years old and has been a professional for 10 years? Exactly. The players have got got to know their role as well. I would never have took it upon
3: myself, even at 32 at the end of my career, saying to the owners, I'll tell you what you should be doing, what kind of coach you should be employing. I'm a player. You should be telling you that's your job but to put somebody career, you in charge. Really player, were you? You were, <laughs> no, you I was mainly were lying on a, on a treatment table <laughs> in the upgrade. <laughs> but Bandaged. again, I, I would never see when I was at Everton you had players like Dave Watson, Neville Southall, Barry Horn, who were real proper men. Not like me. Chemistry teacher. Proper man, men, exactly, yes. Yeah. So intelligent, who had vast experience but also could put a sentence together and they were the, 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 the people that players listened to coaches listen to and owners listen to and they should be listened to as well because they only have their interests of the club at heart they're not self-interested that's that's the problem when players uh, lose sight of it it's all about the difference, me though? how can you tell yeah, the that's difference that's a really good point well that's again you, you only learn that over time but again players sometimes players put themselves in a position saying well I, you know, I want to be the top earner I am the most important and then they start trying to drive how the club is moving forward, and if the owners listen to those people, the wrong people, it's massively dangerous. But this is always going to be the way. Owners are going to listen to everybody to try and get everyone's yeah, view, or maybe what's happening on the training ground, should. in the dressing room, a to try and ed- get a feel of what's going a on. Chief exec should
2: go to the players, to a, a group of senior players, to take their view. He should speak to coaches to take their view, the medical staff, the manager. It should that, all be taken. That's good management, in. isn't it? Yeah, but yeah, that's good management. And but the fact that, that football clubs are in this weird position where the manager's not responding, most cases the manager's not responsible for bad run of results. If you look at the way the, the analyses have been done on this, and they, they vary between 8 and 18% is the amount of difference a manager makes to a team's results. That's not It's big in football where, where the margins are fine, but it's not massive. So Leicester, it's unlikely that Ranieri was the one sole factor that was contributing to their decline. But the players, as Chinch says, they know that they can't, they can't be sacked. I wonder whether a, a moratorium on sacking managers during the season might help.
1: They, they, no one no, would ever agree to no, it's, no. A good, it's a good idea no. But no one would agree Or to even that, just the they?
2: transfer windows You can only hire a new manager In the transfer window You can sack your manager And replace him with, with, someone, with within someone Within the club, the club. Yeah. But you can only appoint A new manager in a transfer window
0: So that would, that would try and curb This feeling that that players have Of their ability to to change things And not change themselves I.e. not mm. improve yes. Managers yes, yes, yes. go
2: when results are bad Basically Unless you lose a manager To a bigger club Because he's done really well Managers get sacked When results are bad when results you, Within a football club Again Chinch will know more About this than I do I would say that At any one time 50% of the people Within a squad are unhappy Yeah, 50% mm. that are not playing They are always unhappy You can go to any player Who's not starting And the player will say Don't really like the manager don't, He's up to it Then getting the team He's brilliant yes. That's, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. what happens all the time uh, But, but, that's, but that's also turn And players don't want to say Do you know what for all they come out in public and say we need to all work harder players do not want to think this is my fault but that's what just about to say that but that's, about that's so the also Leicester why situation. Yeah. yeah
0: that's also why you shouldn't trust what players you necessarily unless you already have a bond with that player if you're yes. an owner going to that player you've got to put it in the context haven't you you've got to say well I'm hang sure. on a minute, this guy's not playing of course yeah, he's going to say he I doesn't know. like the manager there have been so many situations yeah. about managers who have been incredibly successful made wonderful decisions won loads and loads of trophies and there's a player within their squad who isn't happy yeah. well I'm sorry yeah, th- yeah. Th- use your brain yes. you're not playing because this guy's winning loads isn't picking you and you're telling me that makes him a bad yeah, manager. Yeah, exactly,
3: yeah. But if I play for managers that I don't like, but you still have a professional pride Which to one? do well for yourself, so I can't mention. Well, I, I, I'll, I, I'll tell you straight away. But you others, still have me. that. You just wanted to hear not, it from scene, Actually, two. I can tell you two straight away. I can name about five. <laughs> <laughs> you <laughs> you do it for yourself. You, you only had five managers. Exactly. <laughs> do it for your teammates. So there has to be, well, that, that should be the thing that kicks in. The decisions should be out of your hands. You should say, well, I think this, but actually you don't listen to me. I am a player. But because of the money that they earn and the Kind of the, the profile they have, the, the fans maybe expect the players to be standing up telling the owners what they should be doing. But
0: the owners should make the decision about the coach. The players should just get on with the job. So that's the set piece many teams take on player power. And perhaps fittingly considering our attempts to be a little subversive over the months, the player on our team most definitely has the least power. I did consider putting together. Um, it would have taken far too much time. And as most people who know me are aware of already, I'm incredibly lazy of all the introductions to uh, Andy Hinchcliffe that have been less than polite. But then I remembered that bearing in mind that we've been broadcasting together since about 2004, if I was to go back and do them all. It would take up the whole podcast. What was the? F- can you remember the first insult you had for him? Because it really wouldn't be a set-piece menu without
1: you insulting Andy Hinchcliffe, our resident professional footballer.
0: Well, as I think I've mentioned on one of the podcasts, um, the nickname for him, Chinch, is something that I came up with. Because Hinch just didn't do the job, bearing in mind the size of his chin. Well, yeah, so because having, stuck, having
1: just bit. talked about uh, the footballing intelligence and the intelligence of footballers, Andy Hinchcliffe's uh, nickname when he was a player was... Hinchy, which didn't
0: really take a great deal of hard work to come up with. And you know one other thing about Andy, and I can say this because he'd be too bashful to say so in front of everybody. He never had a chant. He never had a chant. No teams ever came up with either an amusing or even just a simple... Too many syllables. And I I just wonder if at some point we could um, rely on one of our excellent and creative listeners to come up with a chant about Andy Hinchcliffe. Task set. There we go. Let's put it that way. And I tell you what, that was something of an Easter egg hidden right in the middle of the highlights episode and not at all focused (laughs) upon. The next journey that we'd like you to join us on is back to show number 24. This was the one about second teams. Can you have one? And if you do, why? So as seems strangely familiar already with the episodes that we've enjoyed making and wanted to show you again, over to Rory to begin the highlights clip. I think it's weird
2: if fans don't have... Second teams. I, um, I know that's. They'll, they may well. I don't know. I think, I get the impression that our audience are all eloquent and articulate and intelligent, so they probably won't react badly. But that,
0: I think, is the sort of thing that people say, no, it's rubbish kind of thing. So, where do they come from? Where do the second teams come from? What is the genesis of I the second teams? So, how do you justify it? So the team? Is, is
3: it the modern way of support? Cause so how old were you when you first went to watch a game? You very uh, young? Yeah, six or seven, so I think. I was yeah. thinking now somebody at six or seven going to watch modern football. Mm. Are they as invested in it or Because the game is very different The world surrounding So do you start off in a different level Thinking well I like Man United But you know if it doesn't go so over You can kind of float around clubs Rather than saying United are my club For the next 30 years Is it different for younger kids now Starting out supporting teams So
2: I think it's different Both to make it more fervent and less mm. So I think you have more A. It's, all these discussions have to be preface with it. it costs a lot more money So it's a lot harder mm. to go to football now on one hand, I think you have more access to, people, to things like Real Madrid, Barcelona, Dortmund, Bayern. You can see what amazing football looks like all the time. Kids are drawn to Messi and to Neymar and to Ronaldo. So that means that you're more likely... I think, I think we're going to see a generation of kids grow up supporting
1: Barcelona and Real Madrid okay. in this country. Well, that, that, that is happening. At Rory's school, Rory is Not six. my school, I'm not at school. Not, <laughs> young Rory rather than old Rory. They, there are definitely kids at his school, although a lot of them support City, some support United. There's one or two Liverpool fans. There are those who support Barcelona and Real Madrid. There's a couple of theories as to why. Those teams are available to watch on the television, which they weren 't you know for, for our generation when we were younger, so they're, they're, they've got ex, they 're exposed to that brilliance and they can enjoy it but also that South Manchester, where we live, very cosmopolitan people like Hugh Rory and myself have moved to the area from other parts of, of England, and that is true of many of the families in our local school. I anticipate that it's, it's easier for the for the the dad perhaps of, of that son or daughter for them to, to support Barcelona and Real Madrid than it is for them to perhaps adopt Manchester City or Manchester United ah. as local teams because they've grown up potentially as Arsenal or Chelsea fans and it would be difficult for them to, to to sort of go out and buy a City or United kit. It would sort of go against the very fabric of their, their being but actually they don't mind going out and buying a Barcelona shirt with yeah, Messi yeah, on the yeah, back yeah. because that's a different it sort bypass, of rivalry. It bypasses
0: yeah. the tribalism yeah, so, yeah, exactly. so you, you don't... so a lot A lot of your second team feelings as your first team feelings are associated with negativity towards other teams rather than yeah. necessarily a positive feeling engendered or instinctively within you. So the two of you, the, the side that you supported when you were a kid, did you have
3: a second team then or was it just the team that you supported? You didn't think I of it well, quite like them well, let's, as well.
0: Let's let's go around and find find out about second teams if we do have them and, and how they came about. Hearts
2: in Scotland. Because of the colour of their kit? And it's a cool name But mainly because I had a friend When I was a kid Who was oh, a right, fun. Okay.
0: But you're all heart as well Aren't you I it's am all hearts But I, I, I used to like hearts Because of their badge, the badge Because the when you collected football, Your stickers yeah. When you were a kid In 1985-86 And you Sit. got the shiny, shiny badges 1986, not 1986. No, I Rory. said six. I was talking <laughs> to Hector, who's misbehaving. So the, the the badge was was something that that appealed to me. So the best badge in football is that what you just said, Rory? It is the best badge in football. Is right? is it? Oh, is, is no, hearts, bladings, badges, maybe on it's Napoli. a subject
3: for another podcast. <laughs> but the best badge in football, it might be, it might
1: be one to, to get us through the um, <laughs> the summer, summit. yeah, dull yeah. summer, yeah. summer, yeah. summer, So, so You yeah. got hearts.
0: You um, got hearts. Who else did you have as your second team? Aston Villa. I had Aston Villa. What years? Mid 90s. Oh, I was early 90s. Liked Mark Bosnich. I liked the fact that Gordon Cowans looked like he was fifty-five and yet wasn't. You were thinking 12, about 13? Gordon Cowans th- in those terms. The Graham Taylor teams of nineteen ninety-one, the ones mm. that finished second or, or mm. third or fourth or wherever it was the other year. Um, yes, I, I liked David Platt wearing number eight. I, th- th- we, I just liked. I, I liked the colour in, of the kit.
2: I can talk in Coventry. Coventry. Uh, Coventry uh, for the co- West Grandad play Grandad for Coventry. We, we had
0: we had a kid
1: at school. I went to school grew up in in Hampshire we had a kid at school and bearing in mind this is long before the Walker billions kicked in and they became Premier League champions he supported Blackburn Rovers mm-hmm. because he liked the kit and they were really? a really obscure team at the time I don't I'm not I don't want to offend anybody I don't think Blackburn have got a very nice kit well they might have done back then was that the didn't. quarters Did they
2: have
0: the quarters Yeah, kits? yeah. yeah. i am never was, not a fan yeah. of the quarters but, he hits, liked but, anyway. but yeah, when you were he,
1: he was a bit of a troublemaker wasn't
0: he? <laughs> <laughs> it, it, when you're young it fluctuates doesn't it with with storylines players that you like watching yeah. maybe FA Cup finals from 11 o'clock on the Saturday morning yes, Coventry yes. for that reason we hated Argentina because of Diego Maradona in the hand of God still do, by the way. and we liked Liverpool because they were winning everything and that's, that's the kind of instinctive decisions a child makes and, and those can affect you throughout your life well, you can call back those moments and think well I still like those teams well that's why I think it's weird
2: that well, I say weird. So I, there's, there's two different things. There's supporting. There's been a football fan like Chinch and liking football, and there is support in a club. And in 95% of cases, those things overlap. But there are a lot of cases, well, maybe not 95, but there's a lot of cases where they don't overlap, and those cases tend to be quite loud. So you can be a Liverpool fan or a Man United fan or an Arsenal fan and not really be a football fan. You can only watch your team. And I think, I think increasing, this was the other thing I was going to say, so I think in, in one sense With kids now They're exposed to more football Than ever yeah. But I think they're also More imbued with this idea That all that matters Is their club So you speak to people of, of previous generations To us And they'll say that You know I've got people Who support Spurs Who used to go to Highbury Every other Saturday Because that's where the, There was live football Yeah. My dad was a Leicester fan So Leicester's Another one of my second teams uh, As I say I've got a lot of them uh, My dad was a Leicester fan Who used to go and Occasionally watch matches At Forest Because he He didn't. It was the, Fifties and sixties, he didn't care. There was no kind of "you're not in the forest, we want to kill you" because that is, as we should all know objectively, complete nonsense and really stupid. Mm. He was a bit like, right, I can get the train from Leicester to Nottingham. I'll go and watch Forest. Mm. It wasn't a big deal. And there's a lot of kind of there, there was a lot more kind of sense that it was football that you liked, and you you in American parlance, rooted for one team, but you enjoyed the sport. I think if if I put a football match on. On TV, on the rare occasions that I'm allowed to put a football match on TV, the, I tend within about ten fifteen minutes. If I don't, if there'll be a lot of occasions when I'll see who's playing and I just think, right, I want them to win straight away. Does that? Yeah. Like, does it have some? Yeah. So Fiorentina. I playing, definitely do that. I yeah. want Fiorentina to win. If AC Milan are playing, I want AC Milan to lose. And the, you have all the, these. Aren't? It's not that I'm biased for or against any of them. It's just that that's my instinctive thing. And even if I don't, if it's two teams that I don't have any great. No, if it's like Wren playing Toulouse within 10 minutes I think right I want him to win I want yeah. that player I like that player I want him to win or I like their kit I want them to win or their away fans are amazing they can I bet you You just invest in the team and I think that you like those stupid betting outlets, it matters more when there's money on it it doesn't it matters more when there's emotion involved and so when you have that debate about but people
0: the, use money for emotion
2: yeah you're
1: substituting the emotion yes. for money, yeah. and the or, the or you're tying the two in together. Yeah. That yeah. your emotional instinct that, that drives you towards one team will will govern which way perhaps yeah, you yeah. would place. Having, a, your a, bet. having yeah, a horse yeah.
0: in the race yeah, is yeah, more entertaining yeah. than yeah. having or, a horse. Yeah, you're saying that that
1: you're used to watching football as a fan.
2: So if you're not actually that interested in watching football unless there's someone that you support, and it's it's a lot cheaper just to think right, I like their kit, I'll, I want them to win, and then when you when they don't, you sort of think right, oh, well, at least I've not lost fifty quid. Um, but I just think that that's, that's kind of instinctive, that, there's, that you tend to kind of have a, I don't know, to kind of invest a little bit in, in certain teams. And you do, over, over years, build up biases towards certain clubs, or, not biases, preferences for certain clubs. And they're not strong, and certainly as a journalist, it would never mean, like, I refuse to write anything nice about AC Milan. But you just have these things that you kind of think, well, yeah, I like that
0: team, I like that team. And I, think it's I do think it's genuinely odd when people don't. Now, we had a very good response uh, to we that did. particular episode, including one person who followed QPR because they liked The Cure. And the lead singer of The Cure, Robert Smith, is a QPR fan. But we, we also heard from people who supported
1: both Chelsea and Arsenal. Unforgivable. Or both Chelsea and Manchester United. Chelsea. How <laughs> can that be a thing? By all means, support Brentford and Arsenal or or support Stockport County and Manchester City,
0: you can't support two massive Premier League sides at the same time. Was this person between the ages of four and seven? Because I'm sure when I was about five, I supported Liverpool and Spurs because they were like in cup finals and stuff. Yeah, I I followed Spurs because I liked Glenn Hoddle. I think I might have liked Chris Waddle together. (laughs) Imagine what they could have achieved. (laughs) Now, each show we finish with a soccer story. And so why would today be any different? This is when Andy Hinchcliffe tells us a tale from his playing days that has had all adult behaviour and libel-worthy details removed. So, almost as if he's here, over to the chinch. Well, this is a story from my international
3: soccer days. Well, there's so many, so many, so many. Well, it was such a (laughs) shame. The 98 World Cup in France, we all had a bit of a get-together in La Manga. I don't know whether you remember this. This was the Paul Gascoigne got quite upset about being left out of the squad story. But this is a story... Aside from that story So I got le- Amazingly I got left out of the squad For, uh, for France 1998 Along The with history oh, of English football oh. Could be so
1: different Couldn't it
3: on Dublin
0: Where's he now uh, home, He walks under the hammer I know he does It was Inherent in the sarcasm yes, with which he sarcasm. posed that. But do you not,
2: do you not ever, are you not upset that, that his career has done a lot better than yours?
3: Anyway, let's move on. <laughs> Ian Walker and his beautiful hair. <laughs> yeah. Phil Neville was left out. And his beautiful hair. And his beautiful hair. <laughs> Gaza was left out. There was other people as well. But me, it was a travesty. That, was that was, that was that was the main story. That, yes, that was the one that was on the back. page, So Glenn Hoddle gives you the bad news, blah-de-blah. So you go out and there's... How did he do it? How did he do it? Well, he had a room... Which he obviously which, which, which,
0: did. You go in uh, after after Gazza. Or
3: the or before worst Gazza? thing was he had a flip chart with all the names of, of people going to sell. Twelve o'clock, David Seaman. Five past twelve, Nikki bought. Ten past twelve. The problem is, sometimes it took longer than five minutes to to get because people were unhappy weren't they so they wanted an explanation of maybe why they weren't going so I remember coming out after being told I wasn't going and there was about three players sitting out mm. in the corridor and I think it's meant to be done so it wouldn't be embarrassing so if you got left out you could basically just go back to your room and there'll yeah. be a plane laid on and you go but you kind of and people say you're going no I'm going home and stuff and it got it was just terrible the way it was organised <laughs> and, and Gaza got very upset but he had been drinking I think as well but this is not the, so anyway they lay on a private jet for us to fly home it was the least they could the do, Chief. The least geez. they could do. least they could do. So but we all, all get peop- ferried. All
0: the people who got left, left out in one, one private jet. Many,
3: there must have been eight or ten of us, I think, left out of the final squad. Must have been. So we all get ferried to the airport. So obviously the team was staying on, the squad was staying on that we were going to go. So we arrive at the airport, private jet. Gaza had, had a few to drink and probably had had a few more after being told he wasn't going. So we all get onto the plane and we're all... I was upset I wasn't like Phil Neville crying but I was I was upset it's a true story true story I was upset has he told you that story as well anyway I'm sure I've verified it yes with so we, we get on the plane the plane takes off and we get to our cruising altitude and the next thing I see looking back there's only a small plane it's maybe two seats either side so I look back and Gazza would be, had been sat at the back for some reason he'd taken his top off and then there was, I think, two stewardesses who were serving all, were starting to serve all the nibbles and Gaza. Said, "No, no, 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 not having any of this." And he made the stewardesses sit down, and then he proceeded to serve the in-flight meal <laughs> with his top. Is his top off? That's what I, I found everything else perfectly acceptable. Why did the man take his top off? But he was serving all these volivants and stuff, and he made... <laughs> which was brilliant. It is quite nice, isn't it? But he, he was a little bit tipsy. So the private... I quite enjoyed it, in a way. Being left out the squad was a bit disappointing. But the flight home was wonderful, wasn't it? You don't get that very often, do you? you Go what topless gazas serving, serving your nibbles. Topless serving your volivants on no. the way home. And then landed at, uh, at wherever it was, Gatwick and Whisked away, and I was home before you know it. Topless gazas volivants is a great name for a racehorse. <laughs>
0: that's, that's true. <laughs> or an autobiography. <laughs> yeah.
3: But it was a very sad flight home. Very sad. And did, Phil, did, Phil, Phil Neville cried. Right. He was upset. How did Dion Dublin take it? I bet Dion was all right. He was
0: reading a book about estate agents or something. Yeah. He <laughs> <laughs> uh, didn't seem
3: particularly preferred.
0: So two mentions of Paul Gascoigne in this little highlight show on Set Piece Menu, uh, which is rather nice. And um, a classic, I think, that, Steve, you wanted to have in is, because you do remember is. the topless serving of vollevance as a soccer story for the ages. If, if we put the Neville Southall ones aside, that is my favourite Andy Hinchcliffe soccer story. The first three soccer stories. And again, we encourage you to go back and listen to this very, very fastidiously, uh, were all about Andy Booth. Uh, They haven't been many since. I wonder if he's saving a good Andy Booth one for episode number 50. Um, Before we go, we wanted to update you on the progress that you indeed are making, and indeed the four of us as well, in the Premier League table predictor, as um, set up by set-piece menu just prior to the beginning of the new Premier League season, something that a friend of mine and I have done over the last few years to essentially try and guess the finishing positions, 1 to 20, of the Premier League table, a points system accurately rewards those people who have their teams in the right spot come May and I know it's not May and I know I'm going to indulge myself in a cliche in saying that it's a marathon not a sprint but at the same time it's quite funny to see just how appallingly some of the members of the set piece menu team are doing. Andy Hinchcliffe currently out of roughly 300 people who have uh, taken part in this competition, 246. So he's played the game, terrible he's won an FA Cup He's represented his country.
1: Seven times. And now he is paid relatively well to give his
0: opinion on football on a major sporting television network. An analysis that is fairly trusted, I must admit. 246th. Terrible. He knows nothing. Uh, Steve, however, not that much better. 211th. Uh, yeah, but in my defence, you see, as a
1: commentator, I am paid to describe football, not Analyze it. That is the co-commentator. That's the Andy massively cliff
0: job. Massively tortuous excuse. Uh, Rory is 170th, and um, well, I don't want to spend too much time talking about it. But I am 72nd, so a considerable achiever. And I'll be honest with you: this is why I wanted to play the game. And if you know
1: and appreciate how little Hugh understands about <laughs> Premier League football, it will tell you everything
0: you need or to know football. about the luck element. Of the Premier League Prediction League. Rory has told us all that luck accounts for more than 50% of everything that happens in football. Well, I think so it's I'm about happy. 75% in your place. <laughs> I'm happy to claim it all. Uh, we should pay tribute to those who are currently in the top three. In third position, Atletico Bath, courtesy of Dino. Congratulations in third place with 60 points. 58 points is the score of the second place team, Flipsiders, by Christian Hughes. And in first position, UGAM has CFC 12 with 56 points. And if you look up and down, very interesting, apart from the fact that they think that West Ham are going to finish bottom, but still you, Gam, you are the leader. Congratulations. And um, you win absolutely nothing. And fair enough, actually, if you're there as the leader at the end of May, you're not going to win anything either. Um, at Setpiece Menu, once more, a reminder of our Twitter handle or menu at gmail.com. Thank you to everybody uh, for bearing with us through these troubled times, not only with me vocally, uh, but also with the fact that Steve is partaking of a, a lem sip himself. Uh, this is, we, are, we are massively reduced, although for very good reasons elsewhere. So our very best wishes to the Smith and Hinchcliffe families. Uh, We will be back with them very soon. In the meantime, please do subscribe, rate, share and review as we humbly ask you to continue to find room for us in your podcast schedule. Uh, Thank you to Steve for being here, despite all the odds. You're welcome. And to you for listening. Uh, We'll be back with another set piece menu for you to enjoy very soon indeed. I would
1: love to know how much the reality... Of having a small person living under the same roof, of you, roof as you was starting to dawn on Rory Smith.
0: Well, it, when, How when Hector he coping, arrived, when Hector arrived, he changed. His personality changed. He was the kind of instead of the aloof hipster intellectual, he suddenly became the emotionally driven, attentive, needy dog owner. So now he's got a little baby boy. First of all, he has to decide which he prefers, Hector or his son, which is going to be very difficult, certainly in the early stages. Yeah, Hector's Hector's in the lead at the moment, I would think. Yes, the way that, uh, if you're friends with him on Facebook, he actually introduced uh, the arrival of his son from Hector's point of view, which is troubling at the very least. And also, um, he's going to have to, yes, come to terms with the fact that there are two new things in his life, which he he finds incredibly important. Who's the more hands-on with the baby in their house, do you think? Is it
1: Rory Smith or is it Andy Hinchcliffe?